we just thought it would be good to give you a little bit of a snapshot of what happened uh, while we were in Canada. And uh, I'm just going to move that. Uh, I wish I could get closer to you. I, I kind of look like want to walk out there. I, I think I've told you before, we had a, a platform a little bit like this in Eastbourne, uh, the church that Anne and I were part of, and the young people used to take bets as to when I would actually fall off the stage. So I'll try not to fall off the stage today. If you've got a Bible, I wonder if you could turn to Isaiah, uh, not the passage that Ginny read, but the same book that Ginny read from, Isaiah chapter 54. Uh, I have to confess, I've never preached from this chapter before. Uh, I've used it prophetically over individuals and churches, but I've never preached from it. But I felt God really stir me that this is a prophetic word for City Church Sheffield for this time. As Ginny was prophesying, I believe it's a time of change. I believe God is stirring us, and he wants us to respond in the same way that they responded in this chapter. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about the chapter, a little bit about Isaiah. Isaiah is just an amazing book. If you've never studied Isaiah, I would encourage you. It's incredible. It's called the Bible in miniature. I'll tell you why. There are 66 books in the Bible. Guess how many chapters there are in Isaiah? 66 chapters. Isaiah is formed of two books, just like the Bible is formed of two books. The first, 20, the first uh, 39 books form one book. And guess what? There are 39 books in the Old Testament. And those first 39 chapters carry Old Testament themes. We haven't got time to look at that today. The second kind of book of Isaiah, the second part of Isaiah is in chapter 40. There are 27 chapters. Guess what? There are 27 chapters in the New Testament. And in that 27 chapters, and we're going to look at the heart of that in Isaiah 54 in a moment, it's fascinating. Some people call it the second gospel. In fact, some writers have said, if for some tragedy and sad reason we lost the New Testament, we could find all the themes of the New Testament in that second book of Isaiah, that second part of Isaiah from chapter uh, 40 to chapter 66. I mean, it's amazing. It starts off chapter 40 with the same words that John the Baptist starts the Gospels with, John the Baptist's message of prepare the way of the Lord. Then there are four servant songs about a suffering servant, a Messiah who's going to come, just like four Gospels about Jesus. And then it kind of climaxes in Isaiah 53. Now, everyone knows Isaiah 53. It's the verses about Jesus. It's about him who was struck for us. It's about him who took God's wrath. It's an amazing chapter all about Jesus. And then it goes on into Isaiah 61, all about the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon us. And then Isaiah kind of ends with massive themes about new heavens and new earth. It's just an amazing book. I just want to encourage you, if you've never looked at an Old Testament book, and I think sometimes we get a bit nervous of the Old Testament, actually it's the gospel. It's the same God, same words. It's actually wonderful. And we're going to look at Isaiah 54. Now, the context of this is Isaiah, the prophet, is speaking to the people of God who are in captivity. They've been taken out of their land, and they're in captivity now in Babylon. It's the 6th century, 600 years before Jesus, and they are really suffering under the Babylonians. 
But Isaiah is bringing this note of hope. He's bringing this note of joy. He's saying, one day, guys, you're going to be released. It's like you were under this oppression. You were pressed down. It's like you were barren. It's like, that, like nothing was fruitful about you. But there's coming a day, and God's going to do something wonderful, and you're going to be released. You're going to be set free, and you're going to be again singing songs of joy and freedom and deliverance and wonder because God is going to do it. And actually, God did do it. In their day, he did it. There was a new king that came, a new empire, in fact. God raises up empires and brings empires down. And a new empire came with Cyrus, king of Persia, and he let God's people go, a little bit like Pharaoh let God's people go, and a little bit like Pharaoh, there was an exodus, and a little bit like that in Cyrus's reign, there was an exodus, and the people of God came out of exile, they came back to the land, and they built up again the temple, they built the walls of Jerusalem, they came back to the land. That's the context of this passage. And let me just read it to you. Isaiah chapter 54, and I'm going to read verses 1 down to 4. Maybe even 5. Sorry, Sarah. She said, are you definitely going to read 1 to 4? I said, yes. I said I wouldn't refer to you in the message either. But there you go. I have. (laughs) It says this. And bearing in mind, they're under oppression. They're in difficulty. They're in Babylon. And this is what Isaiah says, Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate one than he who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You'll not suffer shame or fear disgrace. You'll not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name, the Holy One, of Israel is your Redeemer, and he's called the God of all the earth. Lord, we thank you for this amazing passage of your scripture. We thank you, Lord, for its original context, giving hope to the people of God. But we thank you, Lord, that there's a new context now for us. It was not just about the fulfillment of a few people coming out of Babylon and coming back to the Middle East. We thank you that the full fulfillment of this is about the new exodus in Christ. It's about the people of God coming out of the world, finding salvation, building the city of God. And we thank you that we are that people, Lord. We thank you we're the people of God. And we pray, Lord, that there would be songs of joy in this place, that we would be enlarging our tent, that we would be the people who celebrate God is our husband, God the maker of the heaven and earth, is with us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said in that prayer, the application for us is that we are the people of God and that Jesus has inaugurated a new exodus. 
that the power of sin, the power of darkness was broken at the cross. Jesus paid for all our sin, all our wrongdoing. And because of the cross, because of Jesus breaking the power of sin, because of Jesus paying for our sin, he's inaugurated, he started this new exodus. And we are now delivered from worldly powers. We're delivered from satanic powers. And we are now, as the people of God, brought into great freedom. And we're called to do what they did, which is to build something. Now, they rebuilt Jerusalem. We're called to build the new Jerusalem, the church of the living God. We're called to build the church together and live as a community that declares out the freedom of God to a lost world. And we're called to proclaim to the world that those who are still under the power of a pharaoh and a Babylonian king and those who are restricted and pushed down, those who are no longer in freedom but are in chains, that in Christ you can find freedom. That in Jesus you can come into freedom, that you can come into liberty, that you can be free, have your sins forgiven, you can be in a community and you can exercise freedom, you can know who you are in Christ, you can find family and you can live as God intended. This is a wonderful passage for the people of God. We're called to sing for joy. We're called those who were barren, those who were oppressed, those who were not fruitful, we are now going to be the fruitful ones. You see, they taunted them in Babylon. You may even know this scripture. Some of you who are slightly older might remember it was in the charts in the 1970s. They were told and asked in Babylon, in Psalm 37, by the rivers of Babylon, by the rivers of Babylon, no, we won't go there, by the rivers of Babylon's uh, YouTube Guys, younger people, YouTube Boney M, and you'll find out what I mean. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept because we remembered Zion. Our captors asked us to sing songs of joy. They said, sing us one of your Zion songs. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the song of the Lord when in a foreign land? That's how they felt. How can we sing with joy under captivity? Isaiah says, there's going to come a day when you're going to be free. Dear friends, we are free from that captivity. There is going to be songs of joy from us. God wants us to burst onto the scene with songs of joy. God wants to do something wonderful with us. And it was prophesied in Isaiah's time they'd return to the land and be fruitful again. And this is the picture that I want to bring to us as a church. God is calling us, City Church Sheffield, to be a fruitful church woman, <laughs> to bear many children, to be a fruitful house, to be those who see many people brought out of captivity. And the New Testament says it's like when they join you, when they honour Jesus as Saviour and Lord, the New Testament uses a phrase about them. It says they are born again. It's like they become new people, new Christians, and they're added in. I believe that God wants to promise us here in Sheffield many multiple births, many new births. I'm so encouraged as Christina stood on the stage this morning and encouraged us about Alpha. I believe it's a day to invite people to hear the good news. I believe it's a day that we'll see many new babies born to us, not in the physical but in the spiritual, many new children born again, many new people coming to be in our church. And do you know what? There is no greater joy 
in my whole life, there's no greater joy. We've seen so many healings, we've seen deliverances, we've seen nations opened up, we've seen churches planted, but I tell you, there is no greater joy than seeing new people become Christians, to seeing the unbeliever become a Christian. You may even be an unbeliever this morning. You may even be somebody who's come this weekend for the wedding. You may even be someone who's come along here. You may be visiting one of our congregations. And you may not have yet surrendered your life to Jesus. I tell you what, there will be no greater joy in your life than when you own Jesus as Lord, when you recognize he died for you. And there will be no greater joy in our congregations and in our church than the day you do that. The Bible says all of heaven rejoices. Heaven has a party every time there's a new believer. And actually, we're called to do that on earth. We're called to be a people who celebrate new birth. And Anne and I just had the privilege this last weekend of being in our old church on Teesside in the northeast of England, Stockton and Middlesbrough. And it was just great to uh, just celebrate with them. Anne, come and share us a bit more about what happened. Yes, you just stole my first sentence. I'll say it again. <laughs> As Jeremy said, last weekend we were over in Teesside and 20 years ago we came up from the south of England to plant that church and it was and a wonderful celebration and the joy that there were tears of joy in my heart um, when I saw people contributing who 20 years ago weren't saved but they're contributing with maturity bringing readings and prayers and what that does in you when you see those people grow and really go on in their walk with God is is just an amazing time and so, I mean, in Teesside, the first five years we did Alpha, uh, we counted 100 people saved. We stopped counting after that, but Alpha just continued over and over again. This is an Alpha advert in a way, but um, I, we're passionate about seeing new birth. This is what we're about as a Christian community. I am really um, on a mission at the moment uh, with the word joy. I've had many prophetic encouragements spoken over me about bringing joy into situations. And I just feel it's a time of joy in God's church. We had joy in the house here yesterday. I mean, it was yeah. an amazing yeah. time. Those of you who were here for the wedding. It was a joyful occasion. Mm. And it wasn't just because it was the wedding. It was because Jesus was here yeah. and he was joining two people in covenant love. And that was such a joyful occasion. Through to the Spirit in Galatians 5. I won't read it all out, but most of you who know your Bibles, it goes love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc., 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 but the second fruit is joy. Yeah. And I just feel it's like when you buy a can or packet of food, if you look at the ingredients on the back, they're ordered, they are written in order of volume. So if you look at a packet of ingredients, you'll see the, the, the greatest ingredient is the first listed. So if joy is the second listed after love, then I think we perhaps ought to be experiencing a bit more joy in our lives and in our walk with God. And I really feel God wants to re restore that joy to his church. My story going back over 30 years ago, and I know not everybody knows Jeremy and I, but I think those of you who do know us a bit, that we're not, we're not sort of shy, quiet people. Um, most people know me like 
No, I like to have a laugh. I'm fun, nearly as fun as Rachel, but not quite. <laughs> um, but I do enjoy life. But I was told about 30 years ago that my laugh, my laughter did me no favors. That crushed me. And it crushed me for quite a long time until we went uh, along to an event at the Brighton Conference Centre where the person speaking was a wonderful man called John Wimber who's gone to glory to be with the Lord Jesus. But he brought a flavour of the Holy Spirit that some of us have never experienced before. And at the end of one of his teaching sessions in an auditorium of about 3,000 people, he just said, Holy Spirit, come. And he just pointed out his arm and went round the auditorium. This is 3,000 people. Somebody felt a bubbling of joy coming up into them, started laughing, and about half an hour later, 3,000 people were laughing. And, I mean, I was just on the floor out of it. And it was just wonderful. And God restored my mm. joy again mm. and my laughter again. And I feel that is for some people here who you may feel crushed by circumstances of the past, circumstances of this last week, even what Blessing was saying going forward into next week, can I face next week because I felt crushed over something last week? God wants to restore mm. your joy. Amen. And even on Friday, Dan quoted Romans 14, the kingdom of God is not a matter of just eating and drinking, but righteousness, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Peter, verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with unspeakable or inexpressible and glorious joy. And I do believe, I keep saying it, I think God wants to restore his joy. And Ginny, this morning, in her prophetic encouragement to us, quoted the joy of the Lord is our strength and there is that inner inner strength that God brings to us thank you Anne so I just want to encourage us I believe God is saying that uh, that we who were barren we who haven't seen many saved are going to rejoice and be fruitful and we're going to rejoice because many are going to be added to us. And we're going to be a joyful people. We are a joyful people. Sometimes I think we just don't let our faces show it. But actually God wants to restore joy to the people of God. And he's going to do that even today, uh, even uh, after, as we pray for people later. I believe the joy of the Lord is going to be upon us. And his strength is going to come through that. Now the second point, that was my first point. The second point is this, that God's calling us to enlarge the place of our tent, to stretch our tent curtains wide and to lengthen our cords and strengthen our stakes. You see, the thing is this, there's a link between our gathering places, if you like, our homes, our houses. This is a house of the Lord. It's not, a, I don't mean the physical building necessarily, although the physical building is helpful because otherwise we'd be sitting out in the cold and sometimes wet and sometimes snow. But actually we are the house of the Lord. Now we gather in buildings, buildings are helpful to us, but we are the house of the Lord. And I believe the Lord wants to enlarge our house. He wants to enlarge our meeting places. He wants to enlarge us as a church because many more people are going to come to us. 
You think, why do you have a thousand-seater building like this? Because God wants to put a thousand people in it. Why are we multiplying into congregations? Because actually we won't better get everyone into this place. We'll have to be in the north and the south and the east and the west. And we'll have to multiply out and out and out and out and out because God is wanting to give more space for more people to be saved, for more people to be added into the house of the Lord. Now, the picture here is of a Bedouin tent, a, a desert tent. Now, we're not so familiar with that. Some of us may go into nice canvas tents at Devoted event. And by the way, the next booking for Devoted is coming up end of December this year, not end of January. So it's the end of December. So you get the cheapest rate if you book in to our Devoted family camp which we gathered together at the Staffordshire Showground at the end of uh, August. You get the best rate if you book in before the end of December. And some of us crazy people actually go in tents. Some of us less crazy people go in caravans. And some really sensible people go into bed and breakfast or whatever. We're in the middle. Not quite super crazy and not quite that safe. We're in a caravan. But I really want to encourage you to be there. And we live in tents. Now, the people of Israel had lived in tents in the desert. So when God speaks to them about tents, they kind of get it culturally. And if you, want to ha- if you have a two-man tent, you don't expand it to be a four-man tent. In our culture, you go and buy a four-man tent. And then if you want an eight-man tent, you don't go and extend it. You go and buy an eight-person tent. That's just what you do. In their culture they extended their tents by lifting up the flaps and doing three things. First of all, sewing in new skins or new canvases or new, new, air, new uh, coverings. First thing they did. Second thing they did was they then put new pillars, new stakes in the ground to hold up that canvas or those skins. And then the third thing they did was to put new, new cords, if you like, new guide ropes, new, new, to, to stake it down to, to make sure that it was safe uh, for the weather. Uh, interestingly enough, the commentary I read, and I'll just let this sort of sit and hang in the air, the interesting enough, it said, and all that was done by the women in the community. But we'll let that just hang in the air. I believe God is saying this prophetically to us in Sheffield here for City Church. God wants us to get a bigger map, God wants us to get a bigger vision for our city and for the area around our city. And he wants us to multiply uh, new congregations. It's wonderful to celebrate the congregations. Anne and I have been having the privilege of being at the 11.30 We've also had the privilege of visiting all the three congregations two or three times this year. Uh, We had most fun in the North congregation, but don't tell the two that meet here that. But I did tell the North that and tell them not to tell anyone. But I'm telling you now, just in case they did. Uh, We had such fun in the North. And uh, God's doing something very special in the North congregation. It was just wonderful. Wasn't it this morning wonderful just to be led by Mark and the band from the North congregation and to see creativity just emerging. In fact, one of my points a little bit later is going to be that I believe God wants to bring new songs to us here in Sheffield. And actually, isn't that wonderful that we already saw that happening this morning? But I believe this is just the start of many, many more multiplications. If I go back to 2010, uh, I had the privilege, uh, Arnold, who was leading the church that time, asked Anne and I to come and speak to your core group leaders, and we gathered in one of the university buildings in March 2010, and I had a prophetic word which 
turned out to be more significant than I realized. That often happens, doesn't it, Ginny? We see things but don't always realize the significance of them. I said, I see seven hills and seven rivers running, like seven valleys, and I just feel that your one is going to become seven. And I have no idea what that meant. Well, later they said, you do know that Sheffield is built on seven hills, don't you? I said, I have no idea. I thought Rome was built on seven hills. I, had no, I knew it's hilly, but I had no idea there were seven hills and seven valleys and all that. And one of the applications of that is the passion to multiply congregations out. So we've got three, but the vision is to have seven congregations right across Sheffield and across this area. And I just believe it's a time when God is stirring us. Like Ginny said, it's a new season, a new time, there's new stirrings and new things are going to be planted out. New things are going to be happening in terms of congregations. Now I came across this quote this week which will tie these two things together because there is a link between planting congregations or churches, some people call them churches, but we're calling them congregations because we're one church together in Sheffield, City Church. And this person who's a church growth expert, in fact he was a great friend of John Wimber who Anne was referencing earlier, and his name was Peter Wagner. Some of you will have heard of him. And he's a statistician. He, he just observes what's happening. And this is his quote about congregations. And I just happened to read it this week. There is a direct correlation between new congregations starting and the rate of church growth. New congregations starting are the most effective evangelistic method known under heaven. So if we're going to see new people come to church, if we're going to see new people, friends, family, born again, coming to know Christ, being new children amongst us, one of the ways we can do that is to plant new congregations is to be a multiplied church, because as we multiply, we suddenly look around and go, oh my goodness, this hole is half empty. Oh my goodness, let's pray, let's ask God to fill it, and guess what? God does fill it. And we've seen that in the north, we've seen, we're busting out now in the northern congregation, we're busting out here in the two uh, ones that meet downstairs in the Jubilee Centre. Let's remember God wants the one to become seven, God wants to multiply congregations right across Sheffield and beyond. Now that will need two things. It'll need some strategy, it'll need some tents, fabric, some new facilities, because we can't all fit in the Jubilee Centre or in the facility in the north. We're going to need some new tents, but we're also going to need two other things. We're going to need some new stakes, and we're going to need some new cords, some guide ropes. Now, what are the stakes? Well, I think stakes are leadership, and not just eldership, but leadership. And there's multiplication of leadership necessary and needed right across our church. And one of the things I think God is speaking to many people here about is, will you step up in the gift of leadership, both men and women, both young people and older people? Will you start to lead where you are? God wants to give. It says in the Bible, God gives gifts of leadership to men and women, and I believe we need to see some strong stakes in the ground People who say, I'll lead in this area. I'll be supportive in this area. I'll be a load-bearing structure. I'll be a stake in the ground in this area, in this congregation, in this area. It might be in terms of worship. It might be in terms of alpha and evangelism. It might be in terms of students and young people. It might be in terms of children and working with our children. It might be in terms of pastoral work and facilitating friendship and new groups that are going to be happening and all sorts of things. I don't know what areas it is, but God wants there to be stakes in the ground. Will you step up? 
Will you be a stake in the ground? Will you be somebody who says, yes, I'm going to be a load-bearing person. I'm going to be one who is stable, one who can carry weight. I'm going to be one who can see this church stretch out. I'm going to step up now. There's a few of us, I believe many, who are going to be prayed for later, who just feel that that's what God's saying. But I think you get a few stakes, but you get many cords. And in one sense, I think God is saying to every one of us, even if you're not a stake, even if you can't at this stage, because of whatever reason, it may be a health reason, maybe a family reason, maybe a time of life reason, it may be all sorts of, it may be a maturity reason, it may be you're struggling or carrying something at the moment and you just can't become a stake right now. One day you will, but right now you can't. God says you can become a guide rope, you can become a cord, you can be one who brings helps to pull this thing out. And when we all pull together, when we all pull it out, this whole structure is going to go up. Every person counts. God wants everyone in this church to step up into leadership, to step up into ministry, and to carry new responsibility. The cords hold it all together. Supportive ministries. I believe that many of us need to step up in this. Now, your response to that could be exactly what Ginny prophesied. There could be a sense of fear. Ginny didn't prophesy fear, but Ginny said, don't be afraid. (laughs) Don't fear. And actually, sometimes when we talk about growth, when we talk about multiplication, even when we talk about new people being added to the church, people go, well, I quite like it as it is. I quite like my little cosy group. I quite like my little cosy corner. I like us all. I don't really want there to be a lot more people because... I'll get a lot less of the elders' time. I'll get a lot less of seeing people because we'll be spread out a bit more, won't we? Yes, we will. And actually, we can get fear. We can be anxious about this. We can be nervous about this. It can cause us anxiety. But actually, God, in, the, in this setting, just look at what the next few verses say. It says, don't be afraid. Now, why would you say that? Because growth... And change brings uncertainty, and naturally we're tempted to fear, to think, oh dear, where do I fit in? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my life, my group, my congregation, my, 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 all about me? And we're tempted to do that. Now, God says, don't fear. He says that constantly through the Bible. Some people say, I've never seen this statistically proven, In fact, I tried to look it up and they said it was a fallacy, but they say that there are 366 don't fears in the Bible. I I looked it up and I couldn't find 300. I I can find hundreds. I can find a couple of hundred. I can't quite find 366. But some people say there are 366, like one for each day and one for a leap year as well. But there are certainly, it's certainly the most common phrase used in the Bible to the people of God. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. The Lord is your maker. Don't be afraid. He's your husband. Don't be afraid. He's going to be with you and going to be bringing you security. And I think the thing is this. Our flesh fears sometimes because we think about ourselves. But also we've got to remember we have, a, we have an enemy. There is an enemy of our souls. There is one who would contest everything that happens. You see, God rejoices when one person becomes a Christian. Whole of heaven has a party when one new person becomes a Christian and the whole of hell quakes in fear and doesn't like it and is against it. You see, Jesus said this, I will build my church. I wish the sentence stopped there. 
But it doesn't. What does it say? And the gates of hell will not prevail. You think, I just want to build the church. Who mentioned hellish gates? But the truth is this, when we build the church, when we do what God has called us to do, which is build community together, build us into a temple that that, that we were talking about earlier, we were, um, I think uh, Dan was talking about the temple of God, us being built together and God's glory dwelling in that temple. Ginny was mentioning that as well. When we do what God has said, the devil doesn't go, oh, fair deals. You know, yeah, well, you got that one right. Well, no, he's angry and he comes against it. It'll be contested. So actually, sometimes our flesh is fearful and sometimes the enemy attacks us. The enemy doesn't want there to be seven congregations in Sheffield of City Church. He doesn't even want there to be three. He certainly doesn't want another one and another one and another one. He just doesn't want that. And he'll contest it. And what's our response? Our response could be fear and pulling back, or our response could be saying, we're going to trust the Lord. We're going to press in and trust him and believe him and actually believe that God is with us. Because that's what this scripture says. The Lord your God, the maker of heaven and earth, the great king over all, the one who made everything, the one who flung stars into space, the one who spoke and bang, the whole creation came into being, the one who sustains it all, the one who's the powerful king, is not just a God in heaven on a throne, he's with you. And he's not just with you like the queen is with us. You know, she's with us. She's always been with us. She's on the throne, and she's kind of with us in our nation. And at times of trouble, she'll speak up, and it's nice to have a little Christmas card from her or a Christmas message from her. Um, it's nice to have that. But no, no, he's not, just, she's, he's not just with us like that. He's with us. He's in us. He's amongst us. And it's like a marriage. I mean, wasn't it beautiful yesterday, those of us who are here, to celebrate uh, Sarah and uh, Yinks and their wonderful marriage together? And it's like that. So Yinks is now with Sarah, wherever they are in the world. They're, they're, with, they're together, and they are one flesh. They are one, one now, one new person together. And that's the picture of God with his church, not just with us as a friend, not just with us as a leader, not just a general and a captain, although all those things are important, but he is with us like a marriage partner. We become one with him. Isn't that beautiful? That, dear friends, is the source of our fruitfulness. The source of our growth, the source of our fruitfulness, is not going to be my effort, my doing it, my trying harder, Christina and Alastair doing Alpha, and the elders doing some new programs. And No, it's God with us, God in us, God energizing us, God coming alongside us and putting energy and fire, and anointing, and passion into our lives. The Lord your God is your husband. He is your maker. There's a beautiful picture in Romans. We haven't got time to unpack it this morning, but Romans chapter 7, Paul contrasts the law, what we should do, what we ought to do, what is right, and Jesus. And he said it's like we were once married to the law. And it's like the law was rather legalistic. It's kind of what the law does. It's good at it. And the law told us all the things that we should be doing. And he was always right. This woman married to the law, he's like this husband who's always right. 
But he never lifts a finger to help. He just condemns. He just tells you what's wrong. He'll come home and he'll say, the tea's not on the table at the right time. And this is an illustration from the 1950s, I appreciate. Because <laughs> it could be the other way around in our culture, but that's how Paul wrote it. It's like the, 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 the laundry isn't done. It's like the washing isn't done. It's like the, the beds aren't made. It's like all the, the, and, and so next day, you kind of redouble your effort. Tea on time, laundry done, beds made. He comes and he doesn't say, wow, isn't that brilliant? You've done the tea on time, you've done the laundry, you've, done, you've made the beds. He says, I noticed the skirting board is rather dirty. But, but I've, I've done this. I've, see, the law can never impart life. That's what Paul says in Romans. He says this. Um, he says, in, sorry, in Galatians, he says, if a law could have been given that imparted life, it would have been given. But it doesn't. It just tells you what's right and wrong and usually what's wrong. But Paul says this in Romans 7, we have died to the law and we are now resurrected as new people and we are now married to another one. We're married to Christ. And it says Christ is a life-giving husband. Christ gives life. Christ comes alongside, and to use our 1950s analogy, he comes home at the end of a day and doesn't say, is the tea on the table, is the bed made, is the laundry done, is the skirting board clean? He says, come on, let's help. Let's do this together. I'm a great cook. I'm going to help you. I love doing some housework. I'm going to do that. We do it together because I'm going to impart life into you. I'm I'm going to do something that's going to help you to be fruitful. And fruitfulness comes out of intimacy. Fruitful living, God wants us to be fruitful in our Christianity, fruitful in our sharing, fruitful in church growth, fruitful in in church planting, fruitful in congregations. How's that going to come about? By being intimate with Jesus. By knowing that Jesus is our husband, our maker, our friend, our lover, one who comes alongside, one who gives power by the Holy Spirit, one who equips us, one who empowers us, one who gives us life. It's Jesus who gives us life. He just doesn't say there's a new standard that you have to live to. He gives us power to do it. I think I've told you this, kids, you'll you'll like this little rhyme, this little ditty. Uh, It was written hundreds of years ago. Uh, I've told you it before, but I'll tell you it again. It contrasts the power of law with the power of love or the power of the gospel. It was written by a guy called John Bunyan who wrote great stories like Pilgrim's Progress. And he wrote this. It's a little ditty, little song, little chorus. I'm not going to sing it, but I'll say it. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither legs nor arms. That's what the law does. It's like if you imagine taking somebody's legs and arms off, don't do it, but if you imagine taking someone's legs and arms off and telling them to run, it's not very nice, is it? They wouldn't better run. They could roll, but they couldn't run. So run, John, run, the Lord demands, but gives me neither legs nor arms. Better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. See, it's not Red Bull that gives you wings. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he it's like he calls us to even greater things than the law said. The law said, don't don't kill somebody. I mean, I'm 55 years old. I've gone through life so far, I haven't killed anyone. I mean, you know, I don't expect many of us have. It's not a major achievement, but, you know... I've kind of obeyed that law. But Jesus comes along and says, 
Now, the law says, Sam, the law says don't kill anyone. Have you killed anyone? No. Good. Thought it would be the easiest person to pick on, just in case somebody has. <laughs> you haven't, have you? No. You haven't, have you? You haven't killed anyone, have you? No. Good. He said no. Good. Good, Sam. But the law says, so the law said that, but Jesus says, now, don't even hate anyone or say anything nasty about anyone. Now, I'm not going to ask you if you've done that, don't look at your sister. <laughs> but sometimes I, I have done that, Sam. I have hated somebody. And, I ha- and, and actually, but Jesus comes inside me. Jesus comes along and Jesus gives me the power, not just not to kill someone, but not to hate. Because he calls us to love our enemies, to love those against us. And you know, little Josh is working out in Canada, learning to love those who have come against him. And there's a massive power in that. The gospel brings power for us to change. And it's, this is the passage that talks about it. The Lord your God, who is your maker, becomes your husband to give you life, to give you power, to give you energy, to fill you with his Holy Spirit and to bring change in your life. Right, my last point, then we're going to respond. And kids, you really need to listen up for this. Because it says this in this chapter... Your descendants, what does descendant mean? Anyone under 12, what does a descendant mean? It's not rhetorical, I'm actually asking you. Anyone know? A descendant. You're descended from somebody. Anyone know? Yes, sorry, you don't have to put your hand up, you just shout it out. A family line, that's right. So, very good. That's, that's, that's beautifully put. Very good. I'm impressed by that. <clears throat> so, it means like you're a descendant, you're in the family of. So, children, you are descendants of your parents. Have a look at your parent. If your parent is here, you've descended from them, you've come from them. And you are, this passage is talking about you. It says, our descendants, our children will do great things for God. And I honestly believe that God is doing something in Christ Central Churches about us releasing our children in God. I think Anne mentioned it in Vancouver. We saw a little bit of a movement of it in Devoted. And I believe God wants to do more amongst us. And it's so, I'm so thrilled that in this church we have children in the whole family time together, in the worship and the Word of God together, because you can hear teaching And you can get stirred, and God can speak to you. So it says here, your descendants, your children, our children. So if you're kind of like, if you identify as a child, and like, I guess under 18 legally, but I guess probably in my thinking, I'm probably thinking like 15 years and younger, or maybe a bit younger. You know, kind of like, I know you don't want to be called a child, but a young person. Uh, You're a descendant still. Give me a wave. Just give me a wave if you're you're that. hmm? You can stand, are they allowed to stand on chairs here? I got told off at Devoted. Stand on your chair then. Stand on your chair. Stand on your chair. Parents and guardians, just watch out that there is no accidents happening here. So if you're, if you're counted as a child, or count yourself as a child, uh, kind of under 15 or whatever, like, like, right, this is great. This is great. Now, sh- sh- I'm going to speak to you. This passage here says, your descendants, your children will, it says, dispossess nations. We won't worry about the word dispossess. We'll go to nations. And look around here. 
There's all these flags of the world, and we have the privilege in this church of going to different nations. So Ginny has just come back from Canada. Right now, Tim and Becky, you all know Tim and Becky, don't you? Tom's mum and dad. Tim and Becky are in a, a place called Muscat in Oman. The Cummings, do you know the Cummings? Patrick and Michelle and their two children. They've just gone, haven't they? Are they going soon? They've gone. I thought they'd gone, yeah. They've just gone to Zambia, to Africa, with their children. And Bless Anne goes to India. We've got uh, Nathan and Joy in China. And we've even got Gail in the Middle East. Isn't it amazing? From this family, and of course Anne and I go loads of places as well. Isn't this amazing? From our family, we go all over the world. And I think, I want to say to you children... God is going to speak to you over these next few days and weeks and months. And some of you, he's going to put nations on your heart. Some of you, that it's right the way around the world. And for some of you, it won't be right the way around the world. It'll be right down your street. Because guess what? The nations are in our streets, aren't they? That's why we're singing these beautiful songs with Arab words, with with Arabic words, because the nations are with us. And I believe God is going to raise up our children, our young people, to speak to different nations. And actually, Yorkshire's kind of like a nation, isn't it? When, when, we said there was, when Mark said there's two languages, I turned to Sarah, I said, but I, I said, sorry, I turned to Abigail, and I said to Abigail, I expect that's English in Yorkshire. Because you, you, you talk to Brian, it's a different language. <laughs> totally different language. But actually, Yorkshire's like a nation, and God wants us to reach the nations. He wants us to reach Scotland and Wales and Ireland. And guess what? We might be leaving Europe politically, but God wants us to get into Europe. He wants us to touch the the continent of Europe. And some of these young people, God's going to be speaking to you about nations. Some of you will go and live there. Some of you will go and work there. Thank you very much. Some of you will be involved there. Brilliant, thank you. Some of you, some of you actually will stay in the United Kingdom, but you'll be international people, touching different tribes and nations. And I believe God wants to say that prophetically. Now, you may sit down, children. Just to end what I'm saying, is I believe prophetically, and I'm sorry if it's been a bit rambly this morning, it's been heartfelt, I believe God is speaking to us in Sheffield here about growth. He's speaking to us in Sheffield. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Thank you. God is speaking to us about growth. God is speaking to us about having new believers like new children, new birth. He's speaking to us about multiplication. He's speaking to us about new congregations across Sheffield. And he's speaking to you to step up and to be a pillar, to be a stake in the ground. He's calling all of us to be like cords to help bring these tents up, to play our part in the body of Christ. And he's speaking to our children and he's saying one day you'll go from this house, you'll go from this nation, you'll go from this place and some of you will go to the ends of the earth and some of you will be involved in nations down your street and nations down the ends of the earth. It's very exciting, I believe, what God is doing in Sheffield. Now, we want to kind of end with just praying for anyone who feels, you know, you have those TV programs and they say, if you've been affected by this program, please phone this number. Uh, you know, if you've been affected by this message, 
you should be affected by this message, not because it's brilliant preaching, but because it's the Word of God. And however imperfectly I put it across, God speaks through weakness and imperfection. Actually, we need to respond. Some of us need to say, I'm going to step up and be a stake. Some of us need to say, I'm going to step up and be a cord and help, support. Some of our children and parents, you might want to even relate right now with your children. Some of your children might already know that they're going to go to nations and go to new places. And actually, they should be prayed for as well. Now, they should be prayed for appropriately with their parent or guardian present. But I'm going to ask in a moment, if you're kind of touched by some of this stuff, if you feel, yeah, actually, God's going to call me to be an evangelist. God's going to call me to preach the gospel more. God's going to call me to any of those other things I've said. We would just want to pray for you as we go. I think sometimes we, we kind of miss that praying for one another bit on our Sundays. And I feel we want to end by having time now just to pray for one another. So if that's you, I'm just going to pray. And while I'm praying, I wonder if you just, people would just start to stand. And uh, if you're a, a child, you might want to, if you're a parent of a child here, you just want to ask your child if they want to respond to this. Not manipulate them, just ask them. Children are very good at saying yeah or no. <laughs> they don't get manipulated like adults. They're kind of like very matter of fact, so they'll know. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are speaking to City Church Sheffield about a new thing, a new season, a new time. There are new people to be saved. And I'm praying, Lord, for evangelists to be raised up in this group. I pray for Alpha. I pray, Lord, that we'd have courage to invite people to Alpha. I pray for breakthroughs in Alpha. Lord, I pray for new congregations ultimately to be birthed. Thank you for the North and the ones here. But I'm praying for many more congregations. And Lord, I'm praying for stakes, leadership people, men and women, to say, yes, I'm going to stand up in leadership. I'm going to stand. My life is going to count. I'm going to play my part in that bit of the body of Christ to bring support. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for people who say, you know what, I may not be a leader right now, but I want to play my part. I'm going to be like a cord. I'm just going to hold on and pull with my weight. I'm going to give and support and pray and attend and love and care. And I'm going to be part of this as well. And Lord, I also particularly want to pray with passion for our children. I thank you for these beautiful gifts that you've given to us here in City Church. And I pray, Lord, that children, even from here, would go to the nation and the nations. I pray that one day, it might be 10, 20 years' time, I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just have a list of half a dozen nations, but I pray for 50, 60, 70 nations of the world represented from City Church Sheffield because our children have gone down their streets or they've gone international. And I want to ask you to speak to our children. I pray for dreams and visions. I thank you, you, you spoke to little Josh, Lord, uh, right out in Fredericton, and you gave him good dreams and good night's sleep. But I want to ask you for dreams for our young people and our children, where you speak to them about nations and church planting and careers that can go to different parts of the country and different parts of the world. I want to pray, Lord, for apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to be raised up in our midst. We ask it in Jesus' name. Now, if you have stood or you want to stand, I wonder if you could come to the front. Uh, I know it's a bit embarrassing. I know it's a bit difficult and awkward. Uh, please don't feel manipulated, but please feel blessed because we want to just pray for you. Please do come.
And if you haven't stood, but you feel, do you know what, I wish I had, I should have stood, uh, we want to pray.